Alright, time to play. This is Sapiens Playground. I'm your host, Maxim Prochnevsky, and here I try to source out the best information possible. I talk to some great people in order to share fascinating stuff regarding health, exercising, longevity, and everything related to that. Everybody has the right to be their strongest and healthiest version of themselves. Thanks for joining me today. Alright everyone, welcome to this episode. Um, thank you everyone for being here. I'm really stoked to introduce my guest, my today's guest to you, which is nobody else other than Brian Sanders from Food Lies. Um, I'm sure that maybe some of you have heard about him, but if not, that's no problem. This conversation was absolutely mind-blowing. Uh, we've talked about so much. I really just wanted to cover everything which exists there in terms of optimal health. And we've talked about um, optimal human diet. We talked about evolution, sunlight exposure, exercising, stress management. I think there's going to be a lot of valuable information and also applicable valuable information. And I really hope that there are some things which um, will be helpful for you uh, in your life. And so um, I just wanted to have him on as my very first guest in order to kind of have a, 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 a solid baseline of information as my first episode. And I can, um, in, in the future, I can build up based on, you know, essentially on what we have been talking right now. So we've covered everything, not super in depth. And in the future, I can go more in depth on, on essentially these topics, which we have covered today. And yeah, just enjoy listening. And I really hope that there are many things which will be helpful for you. And so definitely make sure to check him out. Uh, we'll, I'll leave everything in the show notes and in the description. And so just enjoy listening. This is going to be, this was super fun. And I'm, I can assure you that this will be also fun to listen to and um, definitely mind-blowing. And there are going to be many points which may be new to you as a, you know, conceptually new for you or maybe thing things which you have have not heard and which are you know where it's time to question the old narratives so um definitely something where uh, it's important to start thinking out of the box enjoy listening guys hello brian welcome to the show hey good thanks for having me so yeah i think most of my viewers don't know you because it's like my very first episode with a guest so maybe let's make a quick introduction for you tell 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 us maybe real quick who are you what's your name where are you from what's your background and what you're doing right now sure thing um i'm brian sanders i grew up in hawaii actually on oahu uh then i went to ucla so i went i was a mechanical engineer so i graduated degree in mechanical engineering and had a sort of scientific background and then 
kind of switched careers a few times, but around 30, I actually lost both of my parents to these chronic diseases. So uh, that, that was like, you know, a kind of a wake up call for me. And it was also about the time when you can't eat whatever you want. You know, you turn 30 and it's like, hey, wait a second. Uh, even though I've been, you know, kind of athletic my whole life, I still was just kind of gaining weight, getting little problems here and there. A lot of these problems people think are normal. Uh, and anyway, yeah, so right. I, I started digging into nutrition and all this stuff. And some people around me started talking about like Mark Sisson and like this like primal blueprint and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, this makes sense. So the more I got into it and changed my diet, the better I felt. All my problems went away. Like, oh, my allergies went away or my chronic uh, overuse injuries kind of got better and all these little things got better, lost weight, my body composition changed. And so I just dove in full, full on. I kind of quit my job and just went all in and making a film called Food Lies, which that's amazing. Yeah. The, yeah, it's been in the works for a few years. It's been, uh, you know, a labor of love. It's been a long journey trying to make this film, but we're near the end now. And so, yeah, I, I, a little bit more about me. I, I was living in Los Angeles for a while. Now I'm in Austin, Texas. And there's a whole bunch of great people in this health world around me. And it's really fun to be here and, and do a lot of great things uh, with like-minded people here in Texas. So, Amazing. Yeah, Brian, yeah. That's, that's super cool. I think we'll we'll talk a bit more about the film a bit later because mm -hmm. that's super interesting. I'll have a few questions for you about the film because, you know, like I'm super hyped. I'm, I'm waiting for this movie to come out because I've watched several documentaries about nutrition. They were all like, eh, you know, but I've heard you talking about, uh, like, on your podcast, which is called Peak Human, um, which I absolutely recommend to people. Um, I've heard you talking to some really great people. You've talked to, you know, really great people in this field, like um, Dom D'Agostino, you know, Dave Feldman, Stefan Guiné, just to name a few. Like, there's some really great people you've talked to. And let's start with the question of um what is maybe you know i i just want to make make a segue into optimal human nutrition so what's optimal human nutrition i think that's the main question we are trying to, to tackle here and to find out and so my first question would be what are maybe your biggest takeaways so far like just name a few things which just come to your mind um if i ask you that question after you've talked to so many people I think it's super interesting if you just share your experiences of talking to experts in the field and how this all, you know, matches together in your mind. Yeah, well, it's been a journey and I've, I've talked to so many people. I've had 125 podcast episodes with amazing people and, and another, you know, 50 to 100 conversations casually with leading health experts around the world, scientists, PhDs, doctors, regenerative agriculture people. So my kind of thinking has changed over the years, but really I'm trying to stay open, stay unbiased. I have, I think my only real bias is that animal foods are healthy. I don't even know if that's a bias. That's just a truth of the world. And so I, and I think that whole foods are healthy. And I don't know if that's really controversial either. So I, I go about it with this in mind. And, you know, some people, yeah, you mentioned Dom. There's some people that are more into this low-carb keto space. And I really appreciate them. And I've had a lot of success cutting carbs. But now I'm adding back in carbs. 
you know, it's now that I got healthy, I kind of fixed my metabolism. I got um, just a lot healthier in general. I think there there's a place for carbs in people's diets and it's what kind of carbs you're eating or when you're eating them or how often you're eating them. So for one, it's, it's good to stay open-minded. Uh, yeah. So, so what is optimal health? Like that, the highest level views to me are focusing on bioavailable nutrition and nutrient density. So if you focus on that, you're basically going to end up eating a lot of animal foods because that's undisputed. This is where the most bioavailable nutrition comes from that humans can derive good nutrition from and actually yeah, exactly. get all the nutrients. Exactly. That's so funny. Like, let's maybe stop here for a second because I yeah. really want to, you know, make this clear for people. It's so funny. Um, like the whole life, maybe um, we can talk about that a bit later. We've been told that, you know, when you ask a, ran a random person on the street, uh, what this person associates, you know, what, you know, what, what the first thing which comes to mind when you when you ask them about like health or vitamins or you know nutrients or something they're going to be saying things like fruit or salad or you know kale or whatever mm -hmm. but then if you actually look up the nutrient content and compare it to things like liver or kidney or you know heart you know all this organ meat i think you're absolutely familiar with this thing and this concept of eating organ meats and how nutritious they are or just meat or fish or something or eggs then there's a huge difference actually and this is so fascinating like, that many people still don't understand that actually the most nutritious foods are animal foods and so maybe how how did you come to realize that because actually i would i would say this this is so hard to to it's so difficult if we, we've been if we've been told our whole lives that you we 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 need to eat a ton of vegetables to to be healthy and then a random person comes on and says eat your meat because meat is the mo most nutritious food on earth so how we, how can we make sense of that well that i mean i had to go through that it's a journey basically you have to unlearn everything that you've been told your whole life and it took me a while i remember in the beginning when i when i was first starting to learn that fat is healthy and that animal fat is healthy and I was scared to put too much butter when I was cooking my eggs, you know, and I, and I remember this, this is only like four years ago. And I was like, Oh man, exactly. that, yeah, I was saying that, guys, like, right. So it's like, it, so maybe if my, it, yeah, my health journey started six years ago and it took me a couple of years. So you have to unlearn this. You have to kind of go to the actual data. I always like to look at the root cause of things. That's kind of the, one of the big stories here is, we don't look at the root cause anymore. I know you're in the medical field, or, yeah. you know, medical student and all my doctor friends, they're taught to treat the symptoms, but they're not. Unfortunately, like I'm just in the second semester right now and it already, you know, we already start looking at the disease and the next question is not what caused the disease. The next question is here is the disease and here is what we do, what we, what we're going to do in terms of treatment. And here are the things and the next steps we, we need to take in order to treat that disease. And it's so mind blowing to me because I just remember we had just one disease and or several ones we which we already discussed up until now. And it was always said, like, we don't even really know what the root cause is. And I'm thinking like, holy, how can we have an established treatment protocol without actually knowing what um, uh -huh. causes the disease? That's so ridiculous. 
Well, it's crazy. It's it's one of the huge bombs today. And so that's I I think it's why uh, I'm coming at it from, you know, engineering perspective instead of a medical professional perspective. And I think that's helping me because in engineering and other fields, you always do look at the root cause first or you look at the, you know, there's you have to or you have to look at the science. You have to look at yes. this empirical data, right? It's like, if I'm going to build a building or, you know, as a mechanical engineer, it's like we, we're supposedly building engines and, you know, stuff like that. You, you have to look at the real data. You can't just say, oh, because everyone says that salad is healthy, we're just going to assume that salad's healthy. If you did that, you'd have an engine that didn't work. You have to be like, okay, what is the real things here? How does this really right, work? Right. What, what? So when you do that, it all falls apart. And so this is hard for people to accept because still no one knows it's outside of our little community. If you call it that, I talk to people all the time that are supposedly healthy or they're into the nutrition world. And yeah. I think they kind of get it. And then I talk to them and they still don't get it. They're still just like, well, yes, but we, you know, we know that the plant-based is the best. I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you, you're not, you're not staying with me. Like you've just been yeah, taught yeah, this. Yeah. Like, where is your like show? Like, do you want to open up the data? Like, we can open up the data tables. Like you're talking about when you're comparing fruits and vegetables with the empirical data. You look at how much calcium, how much iron, how you know. Like, if you're just looking in the and data then also table, the bioavailability. Like, you can have spinach, which has supposedly a ton of calcium, but then none of that gets absorbed because of anti nutrients and stuff. That's like the that. next level. Well, yeah, no, if you go to that level, level nobody then, talks about that. They're, yeah, they're never going to get that. And, and that's a little bit hard. I mean, you'd have to go one level deeper and show them that they, there are studies showing how this works and the conversion and the bioavailability. But even if you just look at what's in it, it's the organ meats. It's it's like a different scale, right? It's a different Absolutely. order of magnitude that these have or just meat and eggs. It's just it's a completely different ball game with yeah, yeah. animal foods. Yeah, it's like already we we're touching on the concept of nutrient density. I think that's one of the most important things to consider if we talk about, I think, optimal human nutrition. I think you would agree to, uh, with that. And um, I've heard you talking on your podcast extensively about this topic and asking your guests about what's their definition of nutrient density and how, you know, how this would fit in into our concept of optimal human nutrition. So I think that's the thing I would ask you right now. What, what's your understanding of nutrient density? And how how do you try to make use of that in your diet? Yeah, so it's it's the amount of bioavailable essential amino acids, fatty acids, and vitamins and minerals, right? So so those are kind of the basics of food is those four things, and then you have to ask the bioavailability of those things, and you could also get into the the density of them means how much of those compared to energy. So there's a great friend of mine, Dr. Ted Naiman, which everyone loves, and he talks about the protein to energy ratio. And I think that's really good, and it explains a lot. You want to eat foods. If you want to lose weight, you need to eat foods with a higher protein to energy ratio. Most people are eating foods with too much energy, whether it be carbs or fat. You're having too much energy. The protein is diluted out. There's not enough protein, so you have to eat more to get the same amount of protein which your body needs. 
So I'm kind of extending that further to what is the nutrient to energy ratio or the nutrient density? Really, that's what a nutrient density is, is a nutrient to energy ratio, right? How dense something is. This is just like a common yeah, so thing. Protein would be part of that. Protein is a part of it. No, but that's, yeah, exactly. that's protein is a nutrient. So if you're looking at proteins Absolutely. and these fatty acids and amino acids and vitamins and minerals, how, what is the density of them? And so when you're looking at bioavailability, then... The, these animal foods are in a whole different class. They're a whole different class. And I'll, I'll throw this in. So the vegan argument is that why do we have middlemen? Why, why can't we just eat the plants instead of having the animals eat the plants and then us eat them? They say, they say that that's a waste, that it's more efficient to just eat the plants straight. They have all these problems with it. And I'm saying it's the exact opposite. This is the magic of animals is they upcycle nutrition. So they take low quality foods, especially ruminant animals like cows and sheep and bison and buffalo, all these things. And they're eating grass and random plants and all this stuff that's very low quality, very low protein, not undigestible to humans. And they're turning it into something that is supremely digestible to humans and healthy for us. So it's a great service. And they're eating a lot of foods that we can't even eat anyway. So absolutely. <laughs> I totally agree with you. That's um that's a very important concept. And I think this argument, which the plant-based community always brings up, which is, which you just stated, um, that we should actually be eating the plants instead of animals because the animals are eating the plants and we are eating the animals. So why not just eating the plants right away? And I think that's kind of a little bit of a you know stupid argument because we could go one step further and say, okay, what do plants eat, so to speak? And they kind of get their energy from sunlight and from minerals from the dirt so why not eating dirt and getting sunlight like that's how we could get all of our energy this is yeah skip stupid, the plant so. part yeah <laughs> so tell them yeah that's exactly, a funny yeah. one i've never thought of that argument maybe i'll say that to the next vegan. yeah like this is I, I i've heard that somewhere i was like yeah exactly you could bring up this argument and then this whole thing fall apart right you know so yeah well we, we, we've touched okay you want to say something yeah, I want to say one more thing about the nutrient exactly. density yeah. part, because if you're going straight to the plants, you're going to have to eat a whole bunch more energy to get the same amount of nutrients and protein, right? So that's another reason why we want the animals to upcycle the nutrition for us. So if they're saying, let's just skip the middlemen, let's just go eat the plants. I'm like, okay, let's try that. Let's let's get out a Excel sheet or you know a scratch pad and let's do the math. Okay, we're going to have to be eating just giant array of plants and vegetables and fruits and this and that and supplementing and like getting them from all over the world. And we're going to be trying to get enough nutrients and proteins and all this stuff. But how much energy are we going to have to eat? We're going to be gigantic. We're going to be fat. And the people who don't end the people who end up doing okay on these plant-based diets are the people who are working out so much. They're burning off all this excess energy. Like and the supplementing vegans. enough, right? They're supplementing, but I also think there's something to it. These famous vegans are always these like rich role type of people, marathoners, like endurance runners, all these people that are working out so much that if they're eating such a low quality food from these plants that they have to eat so much of it to get the same amount of nutrients, right? So it's, most people just aren't as active and they just will end up eating too much energy to try to get enough protein and nutrients when you're eating just plant foods, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, that's right. That's absolutely right. And this may be... Um, you know, we could we could um, we could talk about evolution a little bit because this is, I think, a very important part in this whole equation. Like I've I've heard the argument. Let's let's go one step back. 
I've heard the argument recently in a video from, you know, the YouTube channel Nutrition Made Simple, which is Gil, it's led by Gil Car Carvalho. I, I think I mispronounced the name. He's a um, plant-based advocate and he made a video about why evolution, why talking about evolution in the, con in the context of nutrition is not super important because he, what he was trying to say is that um, basically uh, in, you know, in, in evolution, we actually only needed to live in order to pass on our genes. Mm. And so there was no evolutionary advantage to live any longer than that. So maybe he was saying eating like our ancestors did was helping us to live up until an age in order to pass on our genes. But what happens after that doesn't really make any difference. And so oh. um, <laughs> let's, talk, let's talk about the importance of evolution in this whole That's thing. That's so funny and, because, yeah. because okay, I, I don't know, it's like an elephant. So an elephant can have have offspring at whatever you know five years do they just die after five years no these elephants yeah. live de like decades and decades so it doesn't make exactly. any sense we've also debunked this by um well we see lots of primates humans living into their 80s 100 years old they yeah you've, they you've visited the didn't you visit like the hadza and some other indigenous tribes yeah with mary yeah, Kendrick? So I visited them and saw us firsthand. I visited the Hadza, the Maasai, and the Batwa in Uganda. These are the pygmies. We yeah, tell, us maybe, lady. tell us maybe more about what you've seen there and what you what your conclusions are from how the people are living and what they are doing and how this actually um, you know can be how we can connect the lines between yeah. how these people are, are living and maybe what can what can we take away from that for our lives. So there are studies that show that. Before I get into my anecdotal experience, I want to say that there are studies showing that these people, these modern hunter-gatherers that live like our ancestors did, if they have access to somewhat decent, you know, urgent care in case they get into an accident or get a viral, you know, something really bad, they do live into their 80s. They do live just as long as other people. We just because we okay, there, there's a huge myth that we died young. That that is not true. Our ancestors. Uh, could live in easily into their 80s and we have some record of that we just don't have a full fossil record showing that you know we have tons and tons of 90 year old people it's just because we didn't have a full fossil record so there's a lot of also infant mortality so a lot of people just die uh, young before even age of five there's also they die of different things they die of accidents and infections they're like di yeah they're like different causes of death they don't die from diabetes heart disease and cancer but they die from you know falling from a tree or from in infectious diseases or infant mortality as you just say yeah. absolutely so just got to throw that all out there that <clears throat> they they didn't die <laughs> they don't die of chronic diseases like we do so oh, yeah, yeah let's maybe make this plea for people hunter gatherers don't live to their 30s they live if they're so if they live past um what was it childhood or five yeah age. childhood or teenage years they live exactly to their then 80s. they live to the 80s and they live just as long as we do and have a much longer health span as we do so i think that's a very important point to consider here the health span too yes I, and i visited these people they were very healthy jumping around hunting dancing all this until they were 80, 90. Even one lady was said to be 120. So we didn't see her birth certificate, but I mean, everyone said this lady's oh, 120. Insane. Yeah. So, so I guess to my anecdotal stories, the we saw six generations in one group. 
So this the the matriarch, the oldest lady was 120, supposedly. Then her daughter, then they had, you know, they had six generations all all alive. And she was telling stories. The oldest woman said that she grew up in the forest. They were hunting for food. They had animals. She said she could eat meat three times a day. They had it was just all natural foods. It was it was animal foods and whatever fruits they could find in the forest. And she said, everyone lived long. This is what she grew up on. She's at 120. And then she said, now they're everyone's getting sicker. They're dying sooner. And it's when they started, they well, in Uganda, they got kicked out of the forest. It's this whole like kind of political thing. And the government moved them out of this forest by where the, the mountain gorillas are. Oh, did it cut out? Oh, yeah, you're sharing the photo. There we go. So we have, that's a lady on the left in the red plaid thing. So she was the, the oldest lady at 120. Then her daughter, that was her youngest daughter, who's 90. Oh, and also 90. these people, these people, yes, in blue, Incredible. these people look better. I mean, some people were like, oh, that, that lady doesn't look like 120 or that, that lady doesn't look like she's 90. Well, yeah. we are just comparing to our Western civilization. Right where they we look bad and exactly. at a young age, and we we so, try to think. I, I I find this so fascinating. We think that you know having headaches three times a week and feeling sluggish when you wake up in the morning, and that you need to you need two hours in order to feel some bit of energy. We think that's all normal, and we just we just live our lives and think that being sick all the time is normal. I think that's part of your story, which you've told us in the beginning, that you only felt the change and how good you actually can feel after you change your lifestyle and you die. It's so true. It That's one of the main things that we found visiting the tribes in Africa and we kept talking to them about is that they don't have any of these problems. They are healthy. They are strong. They're doing well until old age and i was with a great woman mary ruddick and she would always ask we sat down with each person she'd ask the woman do you have problems with your period like no do you have problems with this do you have back pain do you sleep well everything was just like yes good no yeah yeah absolutely. everything like i've heard i've heard you talking about that and also paul saladino talking about his experience with the with the hadza and how you've been asking them questions like do you feel depressed? And they're like, what's that? Like, why should I feel depressed? I'm feeling good all the time. We have been feeling happy and we are, we are, we're feeling great. Why should we feel bad actually? Yeah, maybe yeah. when I fall, maybe when I fall from a tree, maybe then I have some back pain for a day, but then I feel great again. Well, that's a back, that's a funny one. Yeah, they don't even know what back pain is. They didn't understand the concept of chronic back pain. They're like, I mean, yeah, if you that's fall from a tree, hilarious. Yeah. your back hurts, <laughs> but they, they had no clue. And so many people in America, it's like the hugest problem with this, this back pain and, you know, just these pains that everyone has and that I used to have. So it's yeah, just yeah. not natural. And it's not natural. And that's something which the medical community still, you know, we work on um, trying to fixing these chronic conditions, but we're so bad at fixing chronic conditions. Um, you've also been talking about that with other guests. Like we're great at tackling like acute um um, or, you know, interfering in acute situations where we need to save a life. Um, if someone had an accident or an, a heart attack that we can bring their lives back. But if it's something chronic, like chronic back pain, chronic uh, headache, and, you know, things like also diabetes and all this uh, diseases of civilization, then we actually have no clue how to tackle the root cause of this disease. And we just try to um, somehow, you know, just work with the symptoms and try to 
not not really trying to tackle what actually caused the disease. That's that's a real problem. Well, it's a, it's okay. It's a huge problem with the system, right? It it's no wonder that we think this because the medical system is set up this way, and it's been set up this way for like a hundred years, and it. You know, in the beginning, it was probably a good idea. We're like, oh, wow, we were inventing surgeries and, and pharmaceuticals, and it seemed like the future, right? This is amazing. And we, we have all these new advancements. And, and it, logically, it seems like it's good, right? Like, oh, man, if we can just give someone a pill and they can get better, this is progress. This is good. But what I found just talking to so many amazing experts over the years is you can't cheat nature, that there's certain things that are kind of the most inherent human qualities, like or the, these foundations of human, of, of just being a, a human, you can't cheat that. You can cheat many things, right? We can have an airplane and fly across the world and we can you know, have all these little hacks and cool stuff. But the fundamental things like what you eat and your sleep and getting some sunlight and out and movement, you can't have someone work out for you. You know what yeah, I mean? Right. Like, have a pill that like supposedly just makes your muscles big. You have yeah. to do the work and you can't just have a pill that makes you sleep for three hours, but it's like you slept for eight hours. These or maybe, are these there are, maybe there are hacks which, which could potentially work short over the short term, but they not potentially, they're not necessarily going to expand your lifespan or make you have a longer health or lifespan. Like for, for instance, there's a very interesting study which shows that people who are taking ster steroids and are not exercising, they actually grow bigger muscles than people who don't take steroids and are exercising, which doesn't mean that the people who are taking steroids are going to live longer or going to be healthier on the long term. You know, maybe we have these small hacks which will allow us to achieve certain things over the short term, but this doesn't mean that's a long-term solution. Absolutely right. Well, exactly. And you, you're not saying the, the negatives, you're not saying the downside. So yes, maybe the, the muscles get bigger, but what is that doing? So maybe it's messing with your testosterone levels yeah, absolutely. so that, yeah. So that maybe, yeah. And then in a year from now, you're going to have messed up low testosterone and then all these other problems occur. And then yes, maybe you'll die sooner. So it's not even about like just dying sooner. It's just what are the other negative consequences of your actions? Because basically there's always something, you know, for every action, there's a, you know, some kind of, opposite reaction so you always have to think about that and that's what people aren't thinking about they're like oh we're going to take metformin and you know it's going to help people yeah, right. or, and and we don't look at all the side effects it's like what are, what are the consequences of blocking you know of like ldl and these cholesterols it's like the, the cholesterol is a necessary part of your body and if you block yeah. some of these pathways then what are the downstream consequences of that that's what um many Physicians actually are not thinking about the whole controversy about cholesterol is a whole separate podcast, I think, and maybe even several separate podcasts. Uh, but let's maybe you've touched upon um, many interesting things. Uh, you know, we we've talked about nutrition. Maybe maybe let's let's talk about the concept which you sort of you know have bring to life, which is the sapien framework or the sapient diet so you as i understood you are not a strict you know like vegan or carnivore or keto or something proponent you have your own framework which is the sapient diet and it kind of includes everything and tells us how how to eat in a proper way so maybe um you could explain for the people what this is all about and how how this actually is different from the other 
concepts in nutrition. So what what should we do? Should we go carnivore? Should we mm -hmm. go vegan? Should we go keto, low carb, high carb? Tell us about the concept. Yeah. So again, it's evolved over the years, and I always keep an open mind and keep listening to all these these different dietary camps because you can take good things from each one and you can learn. And the main thing I think about is how to disprove my ideas or how can you say learn from different camps, but then also if something doesn't make sense or you, you have this concept and then some other way of eating, say a vegan way of eating contradicts that, then you have to relook at your concept. And that's how because science it, works, it by the way. Yeah, that's how it <laughs> works. But if you, you can't have any holes, right? You can't have these black swans. You can't have these holes in your theory. So every diet that I've heard of has holes in it. You know, it's like the carnivore people, they're saying you only can eat meat, but it's like, well, what about the people like a vegetarian that barely, that doesn't only has some eggs and some dairy, but they're doing okay. Like it, it completely disproves this whole idea. So that's why I'm not one extreme down any route, but you can learn from them and take the best parts of each diet. And so I get, so even a vegan diet, what I've learned from them is, well, they're cutting out so many processed foods. Supposedly, the people who are healthy are cutting out so many processed foods. They're they're not eating too much energy, basically. Like, I mean, if you're eating just like a whole foods plant based diet, it's it's a way of calorie restriction, you know. And and maybe because it, it's so much fiber and they're eating so often that they're they're not they're addressing satiety because they're eating so much. I, I don't think it's a good idea. But you know, you, you can learn about satiety. It's like, why do not people, some people who do whole foods, plant based, don't gain weight, or they do get skinny, or they do have re resolution of some symptoms? It's because they're basically just not eating enough calories, or they're in this calorie deficit without trying because the food is such low quality food. They're trying to stuff in their mouth and they're never getting enough calories. And it's not so, I mean, you, you're going to have long-term deficiencies, but in the short term, you're getting, I get it, right? You, you are getting some problems to go away because you're losing weight and your body isn't dealing with all this excess energy. Like really a lot of this, these problems have to do with energy toxicity. It's like your, your fat cells being overstuffed too much energy, right? So it's yeah, like exactly. any diet that allows you to not eat too much energy is pretty good as long as you're getting all your nutrients. So I'm kind of and going. I think, and I think uh, what what we can also take away from the vegan diet is there are indeed like plant options which are nutrient dense. Like thinking about fermented vegetables and stuff. I think if we would say okay, the only the only um, the only benefit we get from a vegan diet is calorie restriction. I think this wouldn't be too fair because I think we could say that um, in general. I think I would absolutely agree that animal foods are more nutritious and we should maybe focus more on the animal foods uh, compared to plant foods. I would go with that. But I, I think you would also agree um, that um, there are super nutritious plant options such as fermented vegetables, which actually the fermentation process makes the plant more nutritious. And that's what our ancestors would have done in order to conserve the plant, the food, and to make it more nutritious, which is amazing. Exactly. It so it makes it more nutrient dense. It makes the nutrients more bioavailable. So the act of fermenting will get some of the rid of the anti nutrients. I mean, that's problem with plants is they have their defense systems and they block nutrient absorption through these certain anti nutrients like phytic acid or oxalates and all these things. They bind with the good nutrients you want and don't allow you to absorb them. So fermenting them helps get the, rid of those. So yeah, I'm not saying 
the plants don't have a place. I think plants are great, especially, you know, certain ones that are fermented or certain stuff like avocado or there, there's a ton of things. And that's why, uh, yeah, I, I had to coin my own sapient framework because I'm, because no one has it right. I don't think anyone has it right. Everyone's doing their, their own version. And it's even paleo paleo has these ideas. It's, it's good. It's like, what did we eat, you know, back in the paleolithic era, but then they make a sort of arbitrary line in the sand where no one can eat grains or dairy because we didn't eat it back then. Well, I mean, you can, there are preparation techniques to make grains much safer and easier to eat. And when you ferment them and soak them and sprout them, and, you know, I don't eat a lot of them, maybe, maybe you shouldn't eat some grains, but it's not like they're just automatically terrible and you can never have them. Right. And same thing with dairy. Yes. Some people have lactose intolerance, but maybe they're just eating the wrong kind of dairy. Maybe they need raw dairy. Maybe they should not eat cow dairy. Maybe they should eat goat goat milk or sheep milk. And, you know, a lot of people have, they're, they're fine, right? When they're eating these different products that don't have the same protein. So it's, it's not like the, just dairy is just inherently bad or just fermenting it, making it into yogurt, making it into cheese. There's so many ways to prepare it correctly and we can access great nutrition from these foods. And so I guess I'll go back to the sapien framework. It's, it's based on these ancestral principles is what we're both talking about here is there's foods that we all ate for all of history, although there's tons of different uh, locations around the world and, and societies eating much different foods than what they had access to, but there are some commonalities and there are some preparation techniques that are common. So if we look at that and, and we can base our decisions on that, and then what foods we cut out is also, there's a lot of commonalities that none of these healthy populations ate the processed, highly processed foods with the like sugars and refined grains and vegetable oils. Like these are the three main ingredients that no healthy population includes in their diet. So if you look at the commonalities, they're all eating some sort of animal foods. None of them are vegan at all. Many of them, I mean, there's studies that show like the ethnographic atlas that 73% of all the, they looked at 183 native living populations, I believe, and 73% of those people, those groups, ate over half of their calories from animal foods, right? They, so they found yeah, zero amazing, vegan, yeah. and most of them, the vast majority, got most of their nutrition from animal foods. And what? And then another you know, great guy, Weston Price, went around the world 100 years yeah. ago and found, he found the same thing, they all include these animal foods. They didn't include the sugar, the refined grains, and the vegetable oils, which are seed oils, industrial seed right. oils. So it's like that that's kind of the really high level view of the sapien framework or sapien diet is, well, there's a lot of different diets that fit into that, right? So if we're, if we're including some animal foods, we're eating whole foods, we're not eating these highly processed foods, then we, we can play around with it. Maybe it's different times of the year. Maybe it's based on your cultural preferences. Maybe it's based on, you know, what foods you have available then you can eat in a certain way and oh the preparation techniques right so if you do all these things then we don't all have to be carnivore or vegetarian or paleo like these are just random names that we made up for right. little camps right let's just i'm trying to say hey we're all homo sapiens i love the name of your podcast sapien playground you know it's like uh, we're yeah. homo sapiens we can just get inspired by 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 the work you've done and actually all the all the information i've listened to which is all about like living how the ancestors were living and how we're actually supposed to live so i love this concept yeah well that's it that's all it is it's let's eat how we're supposed to eat live how we're supposed to live it's right. simple 
when you get down to it, maybe it's not simple to make these changes in your life because we live in modern society, which is working against us, right? There's yeah, so right. many things. It's always like around every corner, there's fast food, there's convenience food, there's advertisements, there's your friends wanting to do this. There's, it, It's hard to do, but I think it's very straightforward and obvious what we need to be eating and how we need to be living. It's just no one's doing it. And there is this small group, as I mentioned that I'm in Texas now, and there is this small group of people that are here. They're like, we get it. We do this. We And then it's great because everyone's working together or like uh, just helping each other to live this lifestyle and not just buy into the main uh, society these days that is just so messed up. Yeah, I think, I think, so first of all, I absolutely find this concept like amazing. I think this is, this is the way we should go to achieve optimal human health. I mean, the, the title of the podcast is going to be what I've learned on my path towards optimal human health. We're not talking about only talking about nutrition here. It's about health in general. It's about, you know, lifestyle changes. And, um, one thing maybe, yeah, I, 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 I think it's super valuable to actually the point you addressed at the end here is that we are super civilized, civilized, maybe we are even hyper, like too much, too civilized. And all these advances in technology and everything we have achieved, maybe that's too much and that's actually already harming us. So I actually love that point that you um, were bringing up at the end. Um, yeah, about, about like the sapien diet and the sapien framework, I think in order to sum this up for people would maybe, um, I think the most important rule would probably be what to cut out, like cutting out um, the most processed foods, the refined sugar, the vegetable oils, and the refined white flour. And Absolutely. yeah, and then and then I think the, the next steps would be focusing on high quality animal nutrition in conjunction with high quality plant nutrition. And I think the third rule, which many diets don't consider is then focusing on these specific preparation methods, which um, our ancestors always would have used um, to make the foods even more nutritious and even more digestible maybe for people who cannot really tolerate certain foods or cutting out certain food groups, which many people won't tolerate. And one point which I found exceptionally, you know, awesome, which I don't really hear anywhere else, which, which like many people often say that you shouldn't find a diet which you can stick to for the rest of your life. I don't like that concept. And I like that you have just, um, we're just bringing this up, that maybe we can switch up our diets over the course of the year, according to where we live and the seasonality of the of the food. So maybe we could talk about that a little bit, a little bit more. Because many, I just hear it over and over again, how we should find one diet and stick to this diet if it works for you. But I actually think the concept of switching it up, it's very valuable. Absolutely. And it's half true what you're, what, what they're saying is not one diet you, you find, I mean, the saving framework is something that you can do for the rest of your life, but it's not one diet. And that I, I think I see problems with people who, who stick to one specific diet, whether it's carnivore people, they do bad. I mean, I, I get it. Initially, you feel great and you're cutting out so many things and you're eating a good nutritious food and all this stuff, but you're going to get deficiencies. You're going to not be able to stick to it. There's all these things. Even with keto, you know, if you're going too low carb for too long, I see a lot of problems. People have thyroid problems. They have all kinds of stuff going on. They're, they're not good at 
at even controlling their fasting blood sugar because they they're just so uh, used to being in this fat burning mode and it's, it's just not good. So uh, looking at our ancestors, they didn't eat the same way at all. This, you know, over the seasons, they had what foods were available to them. And so you need to do that. You need to think about it. So, and, and I guess it's not simple. That's the problem is again, it, it's, it's not simple to j just tell someone to, you know, change their diet and do all these things. It'd be a lot more simple to just say, eat meat carnivore. It's like, don't eat animals, vegan. Like it's yeah, so if, you, if you tell someone to cut out a whole food group, it's much more simple. It still yeah. is not maybe not easy to cutting out a whole food group to cut out carbs altogether or meat or all animal products. But it's very, a very simple concept. But if you say, okay, this is maybe not how it's how it would be optimal for humans, because if you think about it, like we had periods like in winter, for example, maybe more in the um, northern type region where we would have been eating, um, we would be eating meat maybe more meat in the winter seasons. But then if there was summer, we would maybe focus on things like fruit because there was so much fruit around um, this time. And then on the other side, people more like closer to the equator, maybe they would have much more access to fruit the, all year round. So we should actually take that, that into account. And I think that's what many, many, many diet camps are missing. I, yeah, it's hard though. It's, I get it because you, you have to kind of, you have to educate the person a lot more on these concepts and you can't just give them this simple meal plan and they're done. So it, it does, it's not conducive to the modern day and age when everyone wants the simplest, easiest, straightforward thing. But actually, if you just think about it, I mean, you could listen to this one podcast, understand these concepts and then implement them in your life just after listening to one podcast, I think, because you're just like, oh, okay. So during the seasons, okay, what's available? You can go to a farmer's market. I lived in Los Angeles. That's a concrete jungle. There's no farms around there, but there's a lot of farmer's markets, right? I think many, many cities, if not all cities around the world have some sort of market where farmers bring it. So if you go there and you see what they're offering, that's what's in season. And if you just eat that and what's local and seasonal, then you will probably be a lot healthier, right? What's the opposite of that is things that are just available year round, which are Absolutely. things in boxes and bags and at, you know, in the aisles of the store that are all processed and preservatives and all this stuff. And so if you skip all those foods, you eat what's around naturally, also not flown in around the world, you know, that's what I'm saying, artificially right. flown in from across the world, which is what a lot of vegans rely on. Absolutely, then yeah. it, is, it is pretty straightforward. So it actually, yeah. and it makes lots of sense, but um, as you said, it's it's not as simple as maybe we would like it to be. So um, I really hope that this will be helpful for people to start maybe um, rethinking the whole framework of nutrition and lifestyle. So we have been focusing now on nutrition so much. Maybe let's um, step away a bit from nutrition and talk a little bit uh, about other pillars which are crucial for optimal health. Like in my mind, there are like five most important, like five important pillars which we should consider when it comes to optimal human health. Uh, you can, you can, you know, say something if if you you can add other pillars mm -hmm. or something if you, if you agree or disagree. So I would say diet is one important thing, exercising or movement, then sleep, sunlight in general, and then I would also add stress and everything which is related to that. Like also negative stress, hormetic stressors. Um, heat exposure, cold exposure, everything, I just put it into stress. 
So what are your thoughts on what else we should consider except like um, in addition to our nutrition and diet? Because there's, as we know, there's so much more when it comes to optimal human health and focusing only on diet can be dangerous in so far that we can only focus on diet and then forget about exercising and all the other important stuff. Yeah, th those are exactly right. Those are the five pillars. I love that. Um, the movement part we can start with. It, I yeah, think let's let's start with the exercising and uh, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I I'm in the eat densely, move intensely camp. I kind of coined that phrase because I think eat less, move more is. I love this phrase though. It's great. It's mean, great. It's a great phrase. Thank you. Yeah, but eat less, move more is just stupid, right? That's what everyone says. Eat less, move more. How do you be healthy? I'm like, that doesn't mean anything. That's like to tell someone to be rich just to spend less money than they make. That doesn't help them. But what you want to know is to eat densely, which we talked about so far, and then move intensely. So for me, I'd say just like nutrient density of food, you want a density of, of movement, of exercise that is really effective. So if you do a lot of work in a short amount of time, that's the most effective way to train your muscles and give them stimulus and tell them to get stronger. And I mean, I guess there's no problem necessarily with doing, you know, some jogging or long distance stuff. I just don't think it's very efficient and it's not very efficient at telling your body to get stronger, to get better or to get bigger. And that, you know, it's, it's just, it's not a good way to burn calories anyway. You don't want to just burn calories. You should never think of exercise as burning calories. You should think of exercise as something you're doing for your body for everything else, a myriad exactly, of yeah. other reasons for your brain, for your muscles, for even to maybe to burn calories later. I mean, if you just put on more muscle, you're doing some weightlifting, some intense exercise, then you will burn more calories long-term because you have more muscle mass and they can, it also just, you can actually eat more carbs even. It'll just soak up all that extra glucose that you eat and into the muscles yeah. and glycogen. So just I'm into doing brief, intense workouts or it's sprinting, lifting weights, anything else in that world of the opposite of jogging. But you can also walk. I think st stuff like walking is great, too. But it's, it's not like you're doing that to build muscle. You're doing that for a different reason. Yeah, like it, it, it definitely depends also on your on your goals. Like I find jogging, um, I do some endurance stuff here and there. It's not the main thing I'm doing. Maybe like um, my my Instagram account is mostly about um, calisthenics. I think you're familiar with the concept of bodyweight training. And I, I absolutely agree that resistance training is um, definitely, it's, it's extremely valuable. valuable. Um, also addressing the points which you just said at the end, like... Um, getting just more lean body mass. Maybe you you, you, you heard about the study, which was uh, showing that um, the best predictor of longevity for older people is the amount of lean muscle mass, which is absolutely insane. Like there's nothing which predicts longevity better than lean mm -hmm. muscle mass in, in older people. So that's crazy. Absolutely. And yeah, and, and also other things that you have more capacity to store carbohydrates that you kind of just increase your basal metabolic rate by having more lean muscle mass, all these kinds of benefits, um, which, um, you get from doing resistance training. But I think it depends, it really depends on your goal. If you maybe, I think, I think endurance training is also really great because it helps you to, I think it's also some sort of 
mind training because when I do long distance runs, then it it kind of first of all, it's a great thing to de-stress for me personally. It might be different for other people. Mm-hmm. And if 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 I'm and I always thinking like if I'm able to do such long distance runs, then I kind of have the endurance to deal with other things in my life and to keep doing and keep pushing. So I think it was like that different things and it depends on uh, what your goals are. But um, yeah, it should definitely not be about burning <laughs> the most amounts of calories, like what many people uh. are thinking, like I'm exercising, I'm exercising and tracking that. How many calories was I burning in this 10 uh. minutes of uh, one hour of cross trainer and stuff like that. So it's really ridiculous. Just, yeah, it, it's stupid. But uh, yeah. also I am very into the calisthenics and body weight stuff. So yeah, I've, I've I, been seeing you doing weighted pull-ups and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I do all that. I've always done that type of stuff. I've never done, really my whole life, I've never really done like the power lifting or any, I, I've never really had access to say even a yeah, squat same, rack. Same, yeah. Right, so it's like I could, I just do stuff that I can do over the years, uh, what what I can consistently do, whether it be body weight stuff like push-ups and pull-ups and or adding more weight. functional, right? Functional strength. I mean, I think it's kind of well known that, Oh, I don't know if it's super well known. The gymnasts, like the gymnasts have the best oh, yeah. bodies. So they jacked. are fit, they're jacked. Yeah, they're jacked and they look great in a, and they're in a very functional way because they're using their body weight and they're doing these functional movements. So I love that. I do have a weight vest so I can, you know, add some more weight. And and I like going to failure too, where again, it's an, it's an efficiency thing too. I think it's more than efficiency, but you can... If I go to failure, I can get down to my, you know, level like 2A, 2B muscle fibers, work them, right. tell them to get stronger, fatigue them, and then I, I'm done. I don't have to, you know, do like an hour and a half workout. Yeah. I mean, it makes also total sense from an evolutionary, evolutionary perspective. What I think we always are coming back here is that if if there is not a great enough signal to your body to actually grow this energy expensive tissue, which is muscle, lean muscle mass, and or just fibers, muscle fibers, then the body is not going to do that. You know, the principle here is use it or lose it. And if there is no reason to keep the muscle, then you will not build or um, maintain the muscle mass. And so I think the main signal is in the end intensity. And I think your your phrase, which is what you were saying at the beginning, which was eat densely, move intensely. I think that's that's great. That's perfect. It it explains it explains yeah. a lot. The only thing it's it's missing is the other lifestyle components. It's the uh, sunlight that, and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> so that stuff. I uh, I love that stuff. I I go out each day. Maybe maybe Brian before my... before before we're gonna talk about um sunlight and the other pillars. Just one quick question, um, because I'm interested in that. What's what's your uh, what's your favorite exercise when it comes to training? Oh wow! Well, my to... favorite exercise is playing sports. So I think that's in general. In general, is well. Right, so... No, I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm the, the okay. Uh, your favorite type of sports or your favorite exercise, your favorite you know type of movement. Mm. So it could be just a thing like push-ups or it could be th- something like basketball. So what, what is it you like to do most in terms of moving your body? Well, I guess it has to be beach volleyball. I'm just obsessed with beach volleyball and I try to play as often as possible all weekend, every weekend, I'm just out there finding a court. So yeah, that, that's, that's what I love to do. And you're outside. So now let's talk about the importance of sunlight. 
Oh man, I'm getting some vitamin D out there. Yeah, right. I'm out there for hours. Uh, yeah, I think it's super important. There's a lot of stuff with COVID that came out about how important vitamin D was. And I don't know if you, you, you know, there's just studies people can look up yeah, or you can yeah, link to them. Yeah, there's studies about metabolic health. There's studies about vitamin D levels. There's studies about um, the level of adiposity and how that's related to COVID outcomes. So there's so much what we've just been talking about, which helps you build this more resilient body. Exactly. Right. So with vitamin D specifically, you want to get on the sun midday between 10 and 2, 10 a.m., 2 p.m. You want to hopefully have the have where the shadow, where your, your shadow is shorter than yourself. That means the sun's above you, right? So if your shadow's really long, that means you may not be getting much vitamin D because yeah, exactly. the sun is not at the right angle. So I go outside and I read. And part of my day is to read. And you can do whatever you know educational activity you want, but you combine them. Get, get find some sun and get outside and do that and and take your shirt off and read a book and get your vitamin D and I think it's super important uh, people beyond myself have had such great benefits you know they're just so so much it's like oh I feel better or my mood is better or yeah I think that's better, such an important system. point it's not just vitamin D like many people say I go into the sun and I get my vitamin D but Oh man, there's so many more benefits to sunlight exposure, which go far beyond just the thing with vitamin D, like which you just explained, um, that people feel like they have a better mood or that, um, what, what was there also like muscle relaxation effects that you kind of feel, you feel kind of more relaxed when you go into the sun as opposed to sitting inside all the time, right? Absolutely. It it goes so far. So just there's so many benefits. If people are depressed, if people have, well, just just get on the sun. I say just go out. Yeah, I think that's better. the most. If if I just think about the the thing which which was there from the very beginning of evolution, even before that was the sun. So what we have to be adapt adapted to the most is actually the sun. I think that's. If, if we just think about this, doesn't make any sense to avoid the suns whatsoever. This is just absolutely stupid in my mind. Like this doesn't make any sense to me. When people say avoid sunlight, this is, I think that's so ridiculous. It's bonkers. It's absurd. And yes, it's been around forever, forever. Yeah. So forever, yeah, I mean, right? don't get even sunburned. Before, even before life started on Earth. Before life. But I mean, don't get sunburned. That's the problem is because we're so sheltered and humans are just hiding indoors all, all the time. Yes, if you go, if you're pale and then you go out in the sun, you're going to get burnt. You have to build up a tan. You have to get your body ready for that. So yeah. just, yeah, we're, we're not saying get sunburned. You don't want to get sunburned. Our, and, our ancestors yeah. didn't get sunburned. They and also, were naturally. And also get, get your nutrition on point because there's some interesting evidence that people, um, you know, on a crappy diet actually get sunburned. I think you've been talking to Tucker Goodrich. And oh, yeah, seed oil. This was so fascinating If uh, when, when you, were, you were talking about how you could stay longer in the sun without getting a sunburn after you fix your diet. This is so fascinating. It's I've heard it from dozens and dozens of people personally. And I know around the world, there's probably thousands of people talking about this. They yeah. once they cut out the seed oil. So part of it is these polyunsaturated fatty acids. The PUFAs are the ones that are more in these seed oils and our diets are just completely made up of seed oils these right. days. It's, it's, and it's, it's, you know, probably one of the biggest problems with health. And once people cut them out, they find they don't get sunburned barely anymore. 
because part of it is that these highly oxidized oils, they make up, they're part of your body, right? They incorporate into your tissues and cause all these problems. And one of those things is they can be oxidized easily and you can get sunburn a lot easily. So yes, cut them out and you'll find you won't get sunburn, but still, I'm not saying go get roasted. Uh, just because (laughs) sun is healthy, you need to build up a tan and uh, do it thoughtfully. Yeah, exactly. And I think the 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 more you kind of learn to be outside and the more you get used to that, the longer you eventually are going to be able to stay outside, as you just said. Yeah, so that's great. And it's all interconnected. Like you can go outside and at the same time exercise outside as you're doing or have some other great habits like you're reading, for instance, like you, you're going outside and read a book. And that's maybe a great segue to stress management. I think that's a super important topic nowadays because we're so overwhelmed by all this information overflow nowadays, like everything that's happening around us. I mean, so much like our brain consumes so much stuff just to, just through social media and everything we, we see around us. So um, maybe let's talk about a re, um, quickly because I think you need to go soon. Let's talk about... Um, negative stress and some tips you have maybe about tackling that and then the other side which is positive stressors and how we can implement that in our lives yeah sure i think it's kind of very different separated by acute stress versus chronic stress so the acute stressors are probably good right these are the things you're talking about colds hot therapies stuff like that and the chronic stress is the bad type of stress and this is what most people are experiencing and it could be from their environment and their mental attitude and all this stuff or it could even be from foods right a chronic stress is if you're chronically eating these bad foods you're just chronically you know distressing your system and so then it builds up over time or even doing marathon if you're running marathons every week for years and years of your life that's a chronic stress you can have major problems because of from that so you don't want the chronic stress and you do want this acute stress and so the chronic stress is out there yes you're right our 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 modern environment is insane these days social media uh the news even driving i think driving is a big stressor for me you know it's like i noticed that in my life and i i set up my life so i don't have to drive because i i think i get stressed out it's like it's even kind of an unnatural human thing to be flying down a freeway at 70 miles per hour and you know it's like yeah it's like your body's like we could die at any moment or someone cuts you off it's very stressful so figure out ways to set up your life where you're not not exposed to this stress find good people around you right one of the reasons i moved out of los angeles i didn't i don't think there's a lot of good people around me in los angeles and you know i moved so i had better people around me so there, there's so many ways. Yeah, I mean, not watching the news, like not using social media too much. There's there's so many ways. I mean, I think you could do a whole movie and a whole podcast Absolutely. series. Like you could do everything that I'm doing for food and do it about stress, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's everywhere in our life. And we're not doing it justice now, but just know there's also so many studies about it with heart disease and all these diseases where they show that people with, more stress in life, have more heart disease, for example. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we we could dive, we could, but we probably wouldn't because this, as you just said, it, it, is, um, it is a whole separate podcast and a whole separate movie which you could make about <laughs> stressors. 
uh, we could dive into the mechanisms behind stress, the whole cortisol stuff. Um, not saying that cortisol is bad, we need it, it's a super important hormone, but if it's chronically elevated, it can lead to a bunch of different problems. Um, yeah, it's super also important to mention that stress, really chronic stress, especially as you just said, is related and connected to almost all of the chronic diseases um, which um, exist out there. And so to make it short, minimize the type of chronic stress which you experience, you know, find great people which um, you're surrounded by and find activities which help you, you know, just be in the moment and just live, you know, I think that's best advice, just be in the, be outside the nature. I think that's one point we could quickly talk about, the importance of just being in nature, not, you know, you, you could, you could live a, you could, li you know, you could try to alleviate the stressors by in still living in town, but I think it's super difficult and it's, I think it's still extremely valuable to go outside of nature. I, I also realized that, that we, we have a garden house, like I, I live in Berlin and outside of Berlin, we have, we have a small garden house and we have like two lakes there and there's a forest and I just love to spend time there even more than in Berlin. So I, well, so I think the importance of being in nature, I think that's one thing we should definitely um, talk about real quick. It's, it's huge and it's hard to study. And I don't know if there's any good. Unfo really, unfortunately, really, unfortunately, it, it is because if it maybe it will be studied in the future and we'll figure out ways to study it. But I just know that it's vastly important and it has vast benefits and that anyone who's gone camping knows, wow, I just feel so much better. I'm out in it. Like this was such a great weekend. Every time I go out, you're like, why? Why don't I do this all the time? Right. This is so amazing. I feel so good. And it's hard to even know all the factors and why that exists. Is it because you left technology? Is it because you left the city? Is it because you're out in nature? Is there something about just being on the ground and being amongst the trees like our ancestors were? Like, what is it? I don't know. I don't have all the answers and I don't think- And I think, I think we don't even necessarily need to isolate a factor. I think it just makes just common sense yeah. <laughs> that being yeah. outside in nature and being surrounded by birds and trees and lakes is something where we feel good. You know, we feel good. Like if, as you just said, if you ask someone, do you like walking around and have, you know, doing a walk in the forest, everybody's going to say, hell yes, it's so peaceful. It's so amazing being surrounded by nature. So absolutely, huge well, tip out there. Yes. So I'd say, yes, just do it. Um, it's huge and maybe we'll understand it someday. <laughs> I don't know. Did we cover everything? Do we have other? Um, yeah, like let's sleep. Uh, we can, we can, we can sleep. Oh yeah. Let's, let's talk about sleep real quick. And then I have a couple of final questions for you and then we can wrap up. Sure. So sleep is huge. Again, you can have an entire movie, entire books, entire podcast series dedicated to sleep. Right. That That's not my specialty, but I know how important it is. I know there's great studies. I've read great books about it. And I've been working on my sleep lately. Uh, I, I'm not into all the, the tracking stuff, but I mean, it is kind of valuable too. If you do, tr you get like an aura ring or some sort of tracking device, you can see. And, and then it's cool because you can make changes and you're like, oh, I get this much deep sleep or REM doing this. And then I did this. Oh, I did a sauna and I did a cold plunge and I slept better. You know, you can, you can make these changes by measuring them. So I think super important, uh, give, give yourself enough time to sleep might be the, the biggest thing. I, I find so many people, they 
have jobs and they have social lives, they have families, and they they know their alarm set for 6 a.m., but they're still staying up till midnight, right? And you, right. I think you, you need these eight hours of sleep. Give yourself eight hours in bed. And, and so, yeah, you can do all these other things with your diet and your lifestyle, but if you're not getting enough sleep, you could be screwing yourself long-term, short-term. We know there's blood sugar problems yeah, if you don't definitely. sleep enough. There's so many things. Like I, so, I think it's it, so it, insane that this is that is all interconnected. You know, we have we have sleep, and this has an effect on our the way we eat the next day. And exercise and nutrition has an effect on how we sleep. And stress has an effect on everything. And everything just affects each other. And this is so fascinating. And one thing um, which you could also say is that, um, be, you know, besides sleep uh, quantity, we should also absolutely focus on sleep quality, like talking about making your room dark enough when you go to sleep, things like, which is super fascinating. We, we have just, we just covered that in like two lectures in medical school. <laughs> one of my mm. favorite topics, it's, it, was, it was about getting enough sunlight throughout the day Yep. So that you will have enough melatonin building up in the evening. Like this is so fascinating. You need to get enough sun exposure to get a quality sleep. Super cool. I stuff. love that you're learning that in medical school. I don't know if they do that in the States, but so true. You get the sun, especially early morning sunlight, and you can get some late afternoon sunlight and it helps with melatonin production. I think even having an animal, here's another little life hack is if you have a, I have a dog, so yeah, I'm out there in the morning. Right. Yeah. I'm out there in the morning walking exactly. my dog. I'm out it's there amazing. in the evening walking my dog. It's great. Even with the microbiome, which we didn't even touch on, which is a whole nother rabbit hole. This is, is like having 10, 10, 10 additional podcasts and oh, 10 yeah. movies well, maybe, I could do on. <laughs> you'll have other guests talking about each of these things. Maybe, I hope so. Like I, I hope to get um, other great guests on in the future. Definitely. Well, yeah, they should dive into each of these. Maybe this will be the the setup podcast that you can dive into all of them. But just the microbiome is huge. Having a dog, getting that dirt, and you know they're 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 like going around in the dirt. I'm touching them. They're on my couch. It, you know, it's yes. getting to me. I think you know, I'm a very strong. Getting dirty is, is getting dirty is maybe a great advice. Like I love this advice. Get, Get dirty. dirty. We're so we're so we're too clean. Like we live in a super ultra clean environment and we try to make everything clean to, you know, to wash our hands every five minutes, especially now in this COVID time, wash our hands every two seconds and wear masks and we're afraid of dirt and viruses and everything. But I think this is something which can actually make us healthier and more resilient and train our microbiome and immune system. Great concept. Cool. Love it. Absolutely. And this is another one of my non-scientific anecdotal things that I want to point out that I'm not saying this is like studied science that I'm quoting, but everyone, <laughs> everyone I know who washes their hand every two seconds and wears masks like every two seconds, they all have problems with their immune system. They get sick a lot. They're the ones that got COVID, all this stuff. All the people I know, I have a whole nother group of friends that believe in everything we're talking about. They don't wash their hands obsessively they you know that they'll go outside play in the dirt they eat right none of these people get sick including yes. myself we, for years i haven't been sick we have no problems they, yeah all this stuff it, it, i don't know that the people great. i know that do this have have had any problems with covid so who knows yeah yeah i i absolutely agree and i think the, it, it's actually not completely non-scientific because there is some research which shows that kids or just people who grow up um, 
you know, not in a town and in a city, but, you know, in, how you say that? Like a countryside. Rural yeah, yeah, rural, exactly. So that's surrounded by nature and, you know, with animals and stuff. They actually have way less allergies, which is sort of kind of part of the human system somehow. So um, there is some research which shows that. Oh, I'm not saying yeah. there's no research out there. I'm just saying my specific yeah. story. No, but, but, you, but I agree that. There's tons of research that... about this. There's tons yeah, but... of research about each aspect of this, but just my experience has been very clear that yeah. people, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Absolutely. I had actually the same experience. I, uh, I wasn't sick for the past uh, one and a half years, like not sick at all. Most, most of the times I get like two, three colds every year and then some major thing once a year and some sore throat here and there every few months. But, and, you know, we also think that's normal. One of the things which we think that's normal to get sick five times a year, you know? So, but very now, yeah, point there. exactly. So that used to be me until I changed my diet. <laughs> Completely right. different. It's all gone. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's so fascinating that we could summarize it as take the advice that you hear from everywhere, turn it around, and then you'll be healthy. That's seriously what I said. They, it's almost like the, completely true, except it always is the opposite. Even with salt, <laughs> they're like salt is bad for you. Yes, yes. Nope, it's not. It's, it's so not. it's almost everything. It's just the opposite of what they say. Yeah. So fascinating. Um, so yeah, let's maybe slowly come to an end. I have um, two more questions for you. Mm-hmm. So um, I want to include a section in my podcast, which is called Devil's Advocate, because as a true scientist, we want to question our own beliefs. And so that's why here's my devil's advocate question for you. If um, what we've been saying about nutrition is all true, why then do almost all vegan studies or studies with plant-based diets show exclusive benefit to these plant-based diets and show almost always show harm to eating meat or eating more meat? What is your explanation for that? I love that. That's a great question. And a lot of people come to me with this question because they don't understand and they think that I'm wrong about my views. But there's many things. One is the healthy user bias. So this has been studied that people who think that red meat is bad and they you know, eat a plant-based diet, they, for one, they have all these other healthy lifestyle, lifestyle behaviors. So everything that we're talking about, they drink less, they smoke less, they exercise more, they have more of a sense of community. So they do all these other healthy lifestyle behaviors. And then people who do think that red meat is bad, but eat it anyway, because red they've been telling people red meat's bad for so long. These are the people who do the opposite. They smoke more, they drink more, they exercise less, then they eat all the other bad foods with the meat, right? So these are the people eating McDonald's and eating fast food and all this. Type yeah, of stuff. Let, me, let me just show one thing, which I which I found on your Instagram yesterday, which is this one. I, was I just love bring this. This, up. this yep. is great. This is just what you've been talking about. Yep. So if anyone's just listening, the red meat causes heart disease starter pack. And it's an image of a, a million unhealthy foods, donuts and burgers, you know, yeah. all the stuff that people are eating with the meat. So this has been studied a lot. And we know that there is this healthy user bias. And so some studies, they, sh- they account for the healthy user bias. And they found that there is no difference in the health between people eating meat and not eating meat. So there's a couple ones I can bring up. One is the, the Healthy Shopper study. I, I don't remember, it might've been out of the UK. 
and they studied, so they thought, okay, we're going to try to remove this healthy user bias because people eating a standard diet of junk food, you, of course, if you eat, start eating a plant-based diet, you're getting rid of so many bad foods and you're, you're not going to be eating as much, really. You have some sort of calorie restriction. And so, of course, you're going to do better. And I do not deny that at all. We started talking about them in the beginning. Yes, if you're going right. on a plant-based diet, you're going to have tons of changes because you're you're making a healthy lifestyle change. Or even if you're just having a healthy attitude about you're having the intention to do better and you're you're cutting out so many foods. But when they looked at healthy shoppers, it's shopped at a health food store. So then the idea was that these people care about their health more than people who shop at regular stores. And what they found is there was no difference between the plant-based eaters and the omnivorous eaters. So that's just one study. They also, you could look at, say, the Seventh-day Adventists. This was in California. There's these people that avoid meat and they live longer than the rest of the population. Of course, they have all these other health, healthy lifestyle behaviors. Part of their religion is these, these Seventh-day Adventists that, that live in this area, in Loma Limda. They have all the other healthy behaviors. Then you take a look at the Mormons, which are another religious group that lived in the same area, but they have no restrictions on meat. But they have the healthy behaviors. They don't drink alcohol. They do all these other healthy things. And they had they actually live longer than the Seventh-day Adventists that avoided meat. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> you can't compare these plant-based populations to the general population. This is a very obvious, easy thing that we, we should all understand. So, of course, these people are doing all these other things that are healthy. So I hope that explains some of this on, on a higher level. Yeah, I think you could you could bring up so many more arguments and you could bring up evolution and you can could bring up the the concept of nutrient density, which which we have been talking about extensively um, uh, in this episode. So, yeah, um, thank you for your answer. I think this is very I think people hopefully will understand because I have some plant based friends um, or some some just people I know who are plant based and I think just like 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 i think we both are not against plant-based at all but just the we we I, what i want is that people get more open-minded about the concept that not everything not all meat and not all animal products are bad you know just this and actually valuable and actually healthy i think that's what i would like yeah. to get across absolutely well they are the healthiest things you can eat it's just a context right. of how you're eating them yeah so Yes, eat plant-based, but eat some oysters and have some, some liver. liver. Yeah, I mean, do, <laughs> yeah. yeah, fine. As long as you get your animal-based nutrition once a week, have some eggs. Yeah, you know, absolutely. So now let's. Um, ah, we 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 didn't really talk about your film. Maybe just before you, I come to my final question. Maybe real quick, um, tell us what the film is going to be about in two sentences and what the viewers can expect from the movie and is it going to be another keto proponent carnivore mm -hmm. movie or a plant-based movie or is it going to be something else yeah and maybe tell us when we can expect the movie to be out yeah so it's years and years of work going into finding out what should humans eat how can we be healthy and we're telling the whole story from all the way back to evolution and that's why i went to africa to study these native living populations all the way to you know where we went wrong like what happened when we started eating you know agricultural diets and what happened with the the modern dietary guidelines that started in america and went around the world and what is the new science showing what we should actually be eating 
And what what about the what about the agriculture side? What about the environment? So we, we even touch on that and show that uh, it's a whole yeah, nother but, film. <laughs> oh, I know, but we're putting it all in one. We're getting everything all in one film. It might be two full yeah, hours. That's crazy. So it's that's a bit crazy. long, but it's it's gonna really just show the entire story of of how to be healthy, just debunking all the myths put out by the vegan crowd and I think it's going to be amazing. We're taking a long time to make it. It's uh, you could go to foodlies.org, find out more of it. It's called Food Lies. It's supposedly going to be on Netflix and all the big platforms around the world, be translated into all the languages. It may come out by the end of the year. We're, I'm shooting for Christmas time. It, um, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be amazing. It's sort of my life's work. It's putting all. All the stuff I've learned and all the interviews I've ever done and all this information into one really nice package, great graphics, great, you know, music, great experts, just everything just polished and 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 really uh yeah, gonna kind of set the record straight. Yeah, so huge respect for that, Brian, because I mean you've been talking to in over 120 episodes, we've been talking to so many people and you know, additional hundreds of conversations you had. And putting all of these hours and hours of, um, you know, insights into one piece of movie, I think that's so difficult. So I just can't wait to see the result. Uh, me too. And yes, it's not going to be just, yeah, it, it's the high level view. It's not keto. It's not carnivore. It's not paleo. It's not vegan. It's like, what is the real facts about what we should eat? So That's great, Brian. So let's now... Um, come to my final question, which is not going to be about nutrition. I, I, I like the concept of at the end of the podcast, you know, asking a final question, which you're going to be asking every um, um, guest on, on your mm -hmm. podcast, which has maybe nothing to do about the topic you've just been talking about. So my question is following. So imagine a hypothetical scenario where you stand in front of the most difficult task of your life. Maybe it's making this movie or, um, you know, beginning a new job, starting a new job or moving to a new country, something which is so difficult and you're about to give up. It's so difficult and you're exhausted and you don't know how to continue, how to go on. And so now my question is, if you imagine this particular situation, then is there a moment or a period in your life which you can go back to in your mind and where you can gain some strength and confidence to push through this exhausting situation so where we can kind of look back and be like okay i've mastered this moment i've mastered this thing in my life and that means that i shall not give up and i actually can do it wow yeah that's a great question i it, it man i think it's got to be so different for everyone so for me I, for okay the way i was raised is that my parents exposed me to a lot of great things uh, I went to a good school. My mom was a teacher, so I went for free. But I was exposed to so much information, uh, good people, science, uh, critical thinking, that I kind of was taught that I could do anything. Uh, there was no, it wasn't like there's anything that you can't do. So I guess I always had this confidence through my life of just knowing that I could do it or even just assuming that I was going to do it. So I, I don't even know how that, that can apply to other people or give them advice because everyone had their own background and, and growing up.
But no, it's maybe me, even, it's maybe even just more sharing your experience because I just love also hearing what people have learned from their lives and um, oh yeah, I think that's super fascinating. Okay, yeah. So for me, it's I I never thought that I couldn't do something, and maybe yeah, it was this assumption that I was going to be successful. And that I don't know if a lot of people have that. I, I don't. Yeah. So again, I don't have advice for people how to get get to get there. But say for the the movie, for example, or starting this new career, it was a huge leap where I was leaving. I was working in tech and I was making good money, and I saved up money. And instead of going to get another job where I could make a good salary, I decided to go off on my own and make this film. And what I and I, I just I had this, I guess, confidence that I would just do it and without knowing how I was going to do it. And I'll, I'll just tell the story of how I did it. I, I just made a website. The, the foodlies.org is basically the same website I made three and a half years ago. And that's how you do something. Like There was nothing more. I didn't have any history in, in food, science, nutrition, anything. I, I was nobody. I had zero followers. And I just decided that I was going to make this film and everything happens since there. Now I have multiple companies around this and I have business partners and connected with all these people and everything has happened because of this where I just decided to do it. I just made this website and you bring something into the world and now it exists. And I, I do give people come to me for advice and they're like, oh, how do I do this? Or should I start a podcast? I'm like, well, why didn't you start the podcast already? Why are you asking me to start the podcast? Like, you just got to do it. Just start it, right. like you, right? You started your podcast. Now you're good. Now, now you can go on. Like, it yes. takes a day to start a podcast. Like, there's no big. I know you. Yes, you should plan it, and there's all these things you should do. But when you're looking at the actual steps it takes to start a podcast, it's you, you can sign up for a hosting company, and you have a mic, and you just start talking, right? And then you mm -hmm. can put it online. Right. So that's what I did with the film. I just made the website, and now it's a thing. I started contacting great people. I think Dr. Ted Naiman was one of the first people I, I talked to. I and I'm like, hey, you know, I'm making this film. And he got on the phone with me. And, and I was like, you know, he helped me. And we started talking. And everything can kind of will fall into place or did fall into place after yeah. that. So I don't know. I yeah, don't know I if think, that helps. I think this definitely helps because what's, what's more difficult than the actual steps you have to take in order to start a new thing or pushing through a difficult moment, I think it's, it's sometimes it's that it's really difficult. Sometimes it's, I think most of the times it's the fear of may, maybe that you are going to fail or that you just the fear of what's going to happen that you don't know what's going to happen next. And I think the advice you've given there is actually amazing that you should just make the first step, forget about anything, jump into the cold water and do the, do the first step. You know, I was thinking like, uh, starting a podcast, like there's so many podcasts out there and they already are so successful and blah, 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 and trying to find, ex find excuses. And I have to make that and a platform and a camera and this and that. And I thought like, okay, I'm going to find someone to talk to. I'm going to talk to this person and I'm going to have my first episode and everything else is going to fall into place, as you just said. So I think that's great advice. It, it is. It's all you can do is start. That's all you can do. And there's no way around it and don't make right. excuses. And yeah, that's it. Yeah, amazing, Brian. So thank you so much for coming on. 
maybe let's uh, maybe tell people where they can find your work. So you've told about foodlife.org and that people can support you there and find more information about the film. Um, tell me what else you do. Like you have a company, nosotale.org, and you have um, another website. You have the Sapien Tribe. So tell tell people where they can find you and learn more. Yeah, well, nosetail.org. Nosetail is, is for the United States. And, you know, I have all these grass-fed, grass-finished meat products. So if anyone's interested in yeah, getting the really healthy meat and we do all those kind of type of stuff. But uh, also sapien.org is where you can find everything else I'm doing. That's like the high-level thing where that, that branches off into food lies and nosetail. And, and yeah, we have a worldwide uh, program open for people who want to lose weight or get healthy. We have the Sapien tribe that we uh, have like, it's kind of like a private uh, membership site where we connect with people and have uh, some other perks there. So yeah, check it all out. And Food Lies and any social media, just search for Food Lies on social media and I'm there. Yeah, so I'll try to link everything um, in the show notes and hope that it's going to be helpful for people. So yeah, Brian, thank you so much. You're my first guest on this podcast. And I'm so glad that you were willing to come on my uh, on my show and talk to me about super interesting stuff, which is, I think, extremely important for everyone to hear. And I, I'm sure you have talked about that many times, but many people still didn't get it, still didn't hear the important message. And the more we try to spread it, uh, the more people probably are going to be able to hear it and change Absolutely. their lives. Yeah, no, I love just coming on and talking about this stuff. And my whole goal is just to spread this information around the world. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome, Brian. Thank you so much. Um, I think definitely we're going to make, um, maybe we'll be able to talk to each other later again about, and go, go more in depth, talk more in depth about different topics. I think that's going to be great. Sounds good. Thank you for coming on. All right. All right, guys, it's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening. I think in this episode, there was enough food for thought, definitely. And we, I think we did a great job laying a good foundation for topics, which are definitely to cover in future podcasts. And I think we also did a great job um, telling actually what it is about or um, how how to apply the information we presented to you today in order to achieve optimal human health? It is um, it is actually quite simple, but definitely not easy. And just if if it was too much at once, just re-listen uh, to the podcast. I will link to the um, most important timestamps. Uh, also in the show notes and to the links which we addressed in, in the podcast at the end, link everything at, in the description. I hope you like the podcast. Um, definitely make sure to follow Brian on Instagram. You can also find me on Instagram at monkey underscore Cali playground. And um, yeah, I wish you a great day. And let's see who's going to be the next on the show.